You're listening to the best of the day. I say you the, you the best. Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Taves far corner, turned it over, comes to Horvat side of the goal, low backhand, stopped by Georgiev, rebound for Besser, he scores! Yeah, that was nice. Uh, you know, we, uh, we've we proven that uh, this group can do it. And that is going to do it as the Canucks bump their three-game slide with one of their better performances of the season on home ice. It was pretty good. I mean, uh, you see that and you go, let's do that again. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Sweet, sweet Friday. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes. Jason, tell the people more about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Neither of our voices sound very good right now. Mine's okay, is it? Mine's yeah, it started, okay? It started out a little rough. Well, thank you for pointing it out to everybody. That's a good thing. Your mm. voice sounds better. Does it? Yeah. Uh, sounds, I think uh, your voices sound wonderful. <laughs> yeah, my, your voice sounds better today. It's good. It's good. We're get, Yeah, it's, it's been a rough... Holiday vacation, more so for you than for me. We're both under the weather a little bit. But we're back. It's Friday. It's the weekend, as Laddie threw into the intro. The Canucks won a hockey game last night. All is well for a while, anyway. We got a big show ahead on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, It's going to begin, guest list-wise, at 7 o'clock. Brady Henderson, ESPN's NFL Nation Seahawks insider, is going to join us. Seahawks can get to the playoffs with a win over the Rams this weekend and... A Lions win over the Packers. There's just one scheduling problem about this. By the way, since you were gone, mm-hmm. I talked to Mike Tanier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, and Nick Shook from NFL.com. Neither shared my outrage about how stupid the scheduling is. What, what, was, their, what was their reasoning? Nick said that this game meant everything to the Lions, regardless of whether they'd be in a playoff position or not going into Sunday Night Football, because... It was Why? a source of pride. It, a source of pride. And I was like, okay, the Lions have pride. The Lions pride. There's a Lions pride thing there. But, but, but when you add pride plus a potential spot in the playoffs, does that not make it more of a motivating factor? That's what I thought. Lo and behold. Mm-hmm. Then I talked to um, Mike Tannier, and he said, you know – he understands why they did it because it was such a big game, the Lions and the Packers, and they hadn't had this kind of, you know, potential mm-hmm. for a playoff spot between the, N- the two teams. The I N- didn't care for it. The NFL is definitely going to be cheering for a Seahawks loss so that yes. they can get that Lions Packers game for the spot in the playoffs. So Brady Henderson's going to join us at seven to talk about that. Uh, did you see the Bobby Wagner comments too? Yeah, that was he's, a little interesting. Uh, he's still. A little upset about how it ended between him and the Seahawks. So we'll talk to Brady Henderson at 7 o'clock about all that. 7.30, Jim Toth from CJOB Winnipeg uh, Radio. We're going to talk to Jim about the Canucks next game. That's not till Sunday, but we wanted to take a look ahead anyway. Uh, he will be joining us at 7.30. 8 o'clock, it's the Moj. We can go in and around the NFL. The NFL playoff picture now is so much more convoluted and so much more confusing because the NFL mm-hmm. made a ruling yesterday about the ramifications from the Bills Bengals cancellation and it is it is I mean there are I've got about eight pages of notes explaining what might happen in the playoffs because that game is not going to be replayed. there's a big matrix that I don't understand I'm like this is more this is bigger than the blackjack matrix that yeah. they'll give you at the casino sometimes and I guess the one takeaway from it all is that 
there's a possibility that the AFC title game could be played at a neutral site. That is true. That is the one. And it's not. They should play at a BC place. They should. Why not? Go to a different country. Try something new. On a CFL field. Uh, (laughs) This is. It's got to get voted on. Still needs to be ratified by 24 of the 32 NFL owners. That's going to happen presumably today. But yeah, there's a lot going on in the NFL. So we'll talk to Moj about that at eight o'clock. Jim Toth, uh, Jets Canucks preview at seven thirty, and then Brady Henderson at seven o'clock for some Seahawks talk. Lots of NFL talk today. Uh, it's Ask Us Anything Friday. You can start getting those into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket at 650-650. It is the Smalt alternative. No more ticket giveaways, but that shouldn't dissuade you from weighing in and contributing to the show, right? You could still get your chance to be on the radio, Andy. And isn't that a thrill? Being being, <laughs> being on the radio? <laughs> yeah. You really sold having, it. Having you really their, punched it up. There. Having their texts read by the likes of you two gentlemen? Uh, I mean, what can get better than that? Well, I'll tell you what could get better is Halford and Bruff doing their NFL Locks of the Week. Your PlayNow.com Locks of the Week. We might not do NFL now that I mention it, but I think we will. Uh, first time for t- in 2023 that we'll be doing those. So Locks of the Week, Ask Us Anything Friday, Moj, Toth, Henderson, big show ahead on a Friday. That's what's happening, though. Now we need to tell you uh, what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... Canucks win! Canucks win! The Vancouver Canucks scored three consecutive goals in a span of just about two and a half minutes in the second period. That was enough. They did that after trailing by two goals, no less. Uh, That helped them beat the Colorado Avalanche 4-2 at Rogers Arena on Thursday night. The main characters from last night, Andre Kuzmenko putting on an Andre Kuzmenko show. Anyone? Anyone? No. no, Anyone? Nothing. Two goals in less than two minutes for Kuzmenko. PD to assist. Colin Delia. 29 uh, saves on 31 shots. So the Canucks get a win. They snap a three-game losing streak. I think that's about it for game recap, unless you want to break down some of the avalanche goals and the seven power plays they conceded. Otherwise, I think there's some individual talking points that we can jump off Yeah, off I think I think it, it was a really good win for the Vancouver Canucks, and Bruce Boudreau was very happy with the team's effort. Of course, afterwards he said, excuse me, he said that, hey, why can't we do this all the time? And that's kind of been the issue with the Canucks all season long. Now, I think we need to note that the Avs are not in a good way right now. No. That was, uh, was it a fourth straight loss? They haven't won in fifth straight loss. They haven't won in regulation since December 17th. So it's been, a, it's been tough for the Avs. They're not playing well. They've got a bunch of injuries. They still haven't replaced whatever they lost in Nazem Kadri. Yeah. Uh, the team out there, like you're recognizing a bunch of names, obviously. You're like, oh, there's Makar and there's McKinnon. Um, but after that, you're kind of like, who are some of these guys, right? This is not the same Avs team. This is not the same Avs team that looked so good in winning the Stanley Cup. This is not the same Avs team that I considered – the best team of the salary cap era. Mm-hmm. Like they, they're, they're not even close right now. Um, it's somewhat reminiscent of the time that Pittsburgh came through Vancouver and looked awful. Right. And they were in a bad way at the time yep. and the Canucks Canucks beat them. Now I'm not trying to take anything away from the Vancouver Canucks because it was a good effort and it was good to see the response. And I really want to talk about Kuzmenko yeah. today. Uh, not just because Andy loves him. It's because, because so much has happened this season, yes, we've spent a little bit of time on Kuzmenko, but probably not enough because we've been so hung up on Bo Horvat or JT Miller or Bruce Boudreaux and the management group and whatever latest disaster has hit sure. the Vancouver Canucks. We haven't talked that much about, first of all, what Kuzmenko has done in his rookie season in the NHL, granted he's an old rookie, not even eligible for the Calder Trophy, but also the massive decision the Canucks have with him. Yet another decision coming up. Can't wait. I know it's a. We haven't done it justice. I think justifiably though, because there has been a lot of There's other very pressing other talking yeah. points. And to be honest, um, when when someone comes along and is a pleasant surprise, 
you almost don't even want to jinx it. You're like, yeah, just keep doing your thing, Kuzmenko. You know, be cute and adorable. And mm-hmm. he was holding doors for people. Did you see that little vignette yesterday? He was all puffy-haired and making sure that other people got to walk. Yeah, through. I gotta say that he's hair, a young man with manners. The hair is amazing. The hair is pretty really great. Is. He's. I love how I love how we give professional athletes like a, a standing ovation for being civil in public. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, he didn't just barge through the door against a bunch of people because he's like, I'm a professional hockey player. Out of my way, celebrities he held the door open. He's like me. Yeah, celebrities. They're just like us. He goes <laughs> to the grocery store. No, he's he's had a really good year. Uh, 26 years old and scoring at a 30 plus goal rate. He had his 16th and 17th goals of the season last night. I loved, this is the old school bruff speaking here, I love seeing him go to the net to score last night. Both of his goals were right around the net, and they showed a combination of skill, the first one, mm-hmm. with that fancy stick handling. That was nice. And the second one where he just like, I'm going in the net because I know that's where the puck's going to be. I might have to get my nose dirty a little bit. I might take a slash or a cross check, but I want to score. He also had a really nice pass to start that rush with Elias Pettersson. Um, I think it's worth noting that he's only played half a season in the NHL. So it's possible he continues to improve as he gets more and more used to North American hockey. And as you guys mentioned, in a season that has been so dismal and down and we're hearing reports that the Canucks dressing room is shell-shocked and they're just waiting for something to happen – he seems like a genuinely fun and enthusiastic guy with some gratitude for being in the, in, in the National Hockey League and some gratitude for um, you know what his job is and what he gets to do on a daily basis. I would be shocked if the Canucks don't make a hard run at re-signing Kuzmenko given his age. Mm-hmm. He's not 29 or approaching 30 like JT Miller. He's 26 years old. Um, and he's got exceptional chemistry with the Canucks' best forward and possibly best player, Elias Pettersson. I guess if there's a hard part in determining his value, it's that he hasn't really played extended time without Pettersson. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of wondering, all right, how much is Kuzmenko, uh, how much of this pr- production is is Kuzmenko, and how much is it, Playing with a guy like uh, Pedersen, or playing with valid question. playing with the the Canucks' uh, terrific uh, assembly of a power play talent. I'm not trying to suggest that he's a passenger. Like he's like clearly, I just said like you know he made a great play to start the rush uh, with Pedersen on his second goal. He's doing the little things like going to the net. Um, I'm sure he's working on his defensive play, uh, which was questionable. I mean, remember, he was a healthy scratch at one time earlier in the season. But you do have to take all of this into account in negotiations, especially when the Canucks are in the cap situation they're in. Is he a high-end complementary piece, or can he drive a line on his own if necessary? And we don't really know that second one because we haven't really seen it right. because he's been with Pedersen and Mikheyev so often, right? And that's a that's a good line a good right line. there. You've got Pedersen, who's, again, I think the Canucks' best forward. you got Mikheyev, who has speed and is uh, maybe their uh, second-best two-way forward after Pedersen. Um, you know, you, you do have to take that in mind, and you also have to wonder, it's not just like, hey, how much per season are we willing to pay you it's how long are we willing to go in term? And obviously Kuzmenko has something to say about that as well because he's going to be sitting there going, okay, well, I like this situation. I'm pretty sure he's going to be like, listen, I know the team has struggled, but I like this situation. Hey, he gets to play with I, I, I chose Vancouver for a reason. Uh, seems like he likes the city. Seems like he, 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 likes, he, likes, he said he likes playing in a pressure-filled market. He likes that. Um, as you mentioned, he gets to play with Pedersen. So why would you screw with that? But at the same time, he's going to have a lot of leverage in negotiations because the weird thing about him coming over so late is that he is a pending unrestricted free agent. He is in the exact same negotiation position as Bo Horvat, who's played hundreds of games in the NHL. Yeah. The time to cash in for both 
more so with Kuzmenko because he hasn't made the Horvat money before. Is now, Laddie, do we have some audio from Bruce Boudreau yesterday about Kuzmenko? I think it's important to note that this isn't just a couple of uh, morning sports talk radio hosts gushing about the play of Andre Kuzmenko. He has won over a lot of people in the organization, uh, including his head coach, who, as you alluded to, at one time made Kuzmenko a healthy scratch this season, not too long ago. Uh, here's Bruce Boudreau on Andre Kuzmenko following Kuzmenko's two-goal performance in a 4-2 win over the Avs last night. I think he's gotten a lot better than he was at the start of the year, and he's really continued to grow, and I, I think he's really a part of it. I mean, you can see the second goal, his excitement on the goal. It uh, means like he's really vested in the, the same way that everybody else was. So I, th- I thought, it, you know, his uh, improvement was from the beginning to now was, was great. Now he, okay, go ahead. Well, I guess it all comes back to the question that we always ask on this show. How important is next season and the season beyond that for the Vancouver Canucks? Because if they're not going to go into a full rebuild, and there's been, despite the pleas from the fan base, there's been no indication that they're going to do that. That's why I'm, I'd be shocked if the Canucks don't take a real hard run at re-signing Kuzmenko, despite their cap crunch, despite the fact that they have to make decisions on Bo Horvat, and despite the fact that they're trying to trade guys like Brock Besser and, and Connor Garland, um, if you're the general manager or the president of Hockey Ops or wh- whoever's setting the direction, ownership, yeah. setting the direction of this team, just to do your due diligence, do you also have to at least explore what you could get for Kuzmenko at the trade deadline. Oh my because, God, I think you have to do more than explore. Yeah. I think you have to pursue. Because Oh, you, you think you have to pursue? Because yeah. in a capped-out league, a guy with Kuzmenko's production and maybe more importantly, his minuscule cap hit. Like his cap hit is what? Under a million bucks? $950,000. Your return could be something pretty valuable it all it all depends on where you want to spend that. It, let's say you could get a let's say you could get a first round pick for Kuzmenko. Yeah, do you? I wouldn't. I mean, would do, you do it? Do, yeah. Do you even bat an eye? Dollars to donuts, dimes to dollars, dollars to donuts, donuts to whatever. <sighs> if you if you invest nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars, if you can buy a first round draft pick for nine hundred and fifty k, would you not? Well, but yeah, but people would argue like, yeah, but that's why you have a first round draft pick to find players like Kuzmenko. Who can give you ELC three years of that kind of, produ- maybe not that production, but three years of service, indebted servitude. See, we're back to the, we're, we're back to this debate. And, we're not and, back and, to it. We're no, not- no, no, we are. We are in, in a way just because we're back to the debate of um, how important is the short term versus the long term, because. Uh, uh, getting a first-round draft pick, like, let's say that's the return, uh, whatever. That's a long-term play. Getting Kuzmenko signed is is a play for the here and the now. And also, some people might point out, like, if you let Kuzmenko walk, what is Petey thinking? Are you already worried about what Pedersen is thinking about this organization? If you let a linemate that he seems to have good chemistry with if you trade him away, what is Pedersen thinking there? Like it is a it is a complicated situation, and that's why I say that maybe we haven't discussed this enough because we've been so distracted or not distracted, like we've been focused on big things because the Canucks have a lot of balls in the air right now with the likes of of Bo Horvat and other things that are that are hitting their organization. Don't forget, and this might be something that towards your point, they still got to actually clear the cap space. And be rid of guys mm-hmm. uh, with, with, with wasted <laughs> dollars. And they haven't been able to do that. They still have to improve the defense, yeah. which they haven't yeah. done yet. So I mean, do you focus your cap spending on a winger? Yeah, exactly. When you've got a bunch of them that you're trying to unload right now. I, I, well, that's part of it where I think that they're gonna, that's going to force their hand more than anything else. But look, I'll make this really simple for you is that if we're going to come in, you and I and the dogs to a certain degree, and come in every morning and say, uh, I, I'm not into this core, I don't like the group, I don't like the makeup, I don't think they've got the ceiling to be anything close to a Stanley Cup contender, tear down this wall, that sort of thing, Yeah. then there's then there's no debate here. There's no argument. However... No, but this is something, I mean, I'm, I'm debating... Yeah, but, I'm... Okay. Okay, yeah, so, go ahead. So, but if we're talking about what the Canucks are going to do based on... 
uh, past experiences or what we think the front office is going to do, then yeah, there's probably a more than better chance that they're going to make the aforementioned hard push at mm-hmm. keeping him. Those are the two things. Kuzmenko just becomes an exercise in, um, as you kind of alluded to, does this season and next season matter? Or are they going to go down the road of rebuilding or retooling? Because if you keep them around, you know exactly what you're getting. You're getting a guy that's a good fit with Pedersen who's going to put up points. If you don't move on from him, though, you're kind of acknowledging that um, asset management isn't your priority. Because I'll, I'll say this definitively. I don't think Kuzmenko will ever be as valuable as he is right now. The more money he makes, the less valuable he becomes. The harder it is to move. Well, you don't know that. Yes, I do, because he's he, making $950,000 right yeah, now. But what yeah, if he but conti- he could be getting even what, better, right? What if he continues to play well or better? Yeah. Do you think yeah. he's going to be more than a point-a-game player over the course of his NHL career? Or do you think that this might be where he tops If he, keep, oh, if mean, he keeps could, playing with Petey and he keeps improving and he keeps learning the North American game, I mean... This could absolutely you know? be a one-off season, like I understand what you're saying, but, I mean, you got to explore that potential. It's the, same maybe... thing, it's the same thing as saying, like, JT Miller's a 99-point player. And they're, well, JT Miller was a 99-point player once. I right? think the hard thing with Kuzmenko is you got such a limited sample size in the NHL mm-hmm. right you're trying to determine what he is and you know as mentioned earlier in the show he spent almost all his time with Pedersen right or with a very good power play and I'm not trying to take anything away from Kuzmenko because I think the eye test shows that he's involved in the play that he's not just a passenger that he's not just just a, a perimeter player that's picking up cheap assists or sure. you know shooting from the the outside and maybe getting lucky right like but I, I think there's so many unknowns right now because of the short sample size or the small sample size. And also, we got a text in here. You guys think they're getting a first for Kuzmenko. I have no idea. And that's why we say, are the Canucks not obligated to at least kind of quietly explore, if you can do that, I don't even know if that's possible to quietly explore that, what they could get for Kuzmenko, if there's any appetite from other teams to add Kuzmenko because other teams, let's say they see Kuzmenko as, as a rental, right? Uh And they're heading into the playoffs and they're going, well, yeah, his point production is pretty good with the Canucks and yeah, he's looked okay, but this is a guy that's never played in the NHL playoffs. We don't know. He's an unknown compared to a player that, and I know he he played a, f- a few years in, in the KHL, and that it's not like he he just started playing hockey and found out that he was good at it, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he's he, he's had a he's had a long a longish pro career, but not in the NHL. And there will be general managers out there that go, yeah, he looks like a good player, but is he a playoff performer? And if he's not a playoff performer, or we're not sure he's a playoff performer. How much are we really going to give up for him as a rental? But this this text is like factually incorrect. He said, you guys think they're getting a first for Kuzmenko? The, the league is full of them. The league is absolutely not full of them. He's a, he's a unicorn. Give me, if you, dear texter, I don't, you didn't put your name on it. Gary, respond back with a guy that fits this profile. Uh, a point per game forward that's available the deadline one. Two... A guy that is still within his prime scoring years. He turns 27 in a month from now. So happy early birthday to him. And the third profile has to be, he's available at sub 1 million. There's a bunch of these guys floating around. There's a lot. Of, I can't, I looked last night. Yeah. Do the old drop down menu and one of the things. You can't find one of them. You really can't. Like it, he is, as far as his profile is up, he is a unicorn. Now, what you're saying about limited sample size and not knowing what he'd be like away from Pedersen, those are all valid concerns. They're valid concerns for the Canucks, too. Yeah. I think, honestly, if his name wasn't Kuzmenko and we weren't kind of enamored with, like, the personality and the, and the hair, <laughs> and it was just some random guy that had this profile, I think we'd all be a lot more amenable to being like, yeah, if you're going to restock a crappy prospect pool and you're going to try and build up some draft capital that you don't have, you have to t- at least so take You're saying if he was bald, he'd be gone by now? Yeah, and right. Well, a month <laughs> you know? ago? Here's the thing with re-signing guys. Like, I, I think the, the, problem with, the problem I had with re-signing JT Miller was that I don't think you're adding value to your portfolio by doing that. Right. I mean, we had Frank Saravelli on yesterday who thinks that if the Canucks were to trade 
JT Miller, and granted, this is just Frank's opinion, that they might even have to sweeten the pot. So what you've got there yeah. is, a, is a net negative asset. But I don't think that's necessarily would have to be the case with Kuzmenko because I don't think Kuzmenko is going to be looking for that type of money. Uh, I think his age is more amenable to him retaining value once you re-sign him. Yeah. Like, I would compare it a, a little bit to Mikheyev, who, by the way, shares the same agent with Kuzmenko, in that if you were to trade, try to trade uh, Mikheyev right now, I think you could do it, and I think you could get something back because, because of his age and because his contract doesn't have a massive term or a massive cap hit. Let's say that Kuzmenko, his demands aren't crazy, and they're like, I don't know, four by four or you know something something along those lines right because he knows the situation he's in is good and he and he likes it here mm-hmm. and you're looking at the contract and you're going wow that's a good contract like that is a good contract that you could probably trade any uh, later if you wanted to mm-hmm. i think that would be preferable especially if you're talking about going into an off season where you're trying to convince Elias Pettersson to sign a long-term extension. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean there's look put it this way. There's so much unknown. But it's also there's also no like real wrong answer. Like do you want to keep good players? Yes. Do you want to uh recoup assets, picks, prospects? Yes. The bigger picture issue is that the Canucks are in a a dilly of a pickle. Yeah. Because they're not good and they're capped out and they don't have the aforementioned picks and prospects. So, again, that's why I kind of brought it up as an exercise of, well, what was if it's, you know, if it's just player X instead of Kuzmenko and he fits this profile and maybe you don't, it's not necessarily even the way that he scores his goals. It's just this is the production, this is the value. It almost becomes like a study in economics where you're saying, well, yeah, you'd like him. And, yeah, this isn't an easy decision. But the reality of it is, is it, 70% leans in favor of moving him now at his highest value to get something in return as opposed to the 30% to keep him. Like, that's just the reality of the situation, are, folks. Are there any players on the roster, on the Canucks roster, that the Canucks don't have to make a major decision on? It's crazy, man. Like, PD, obviously, they're not going to trade him, but they have to get him signed to a long-term contract extension. I guess Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko, those would be the guys that you're kind of like, yeah, we don't have to worry about those guys. Curtis Lazar. Yeah. Curtis Lazar, you don't have to worry about them. But yeah. like the amount of players, like if you go through the list, you're like, okay, Horvat, obviously you got to make a decision on him. Kuzmenko, obviously you got to make a decision on him. Uh, JT Miller, I think there's a case that before his no-move clause sets in with his new contract extension, you got to make a decision on him. Mm-hmm. Think of all the guys that they're probably going to try and trade or have been trying to trade. Uh, Brock Besser, Connor Garland, Tanner Pearson, um, you know, Tyler Myers, like you go down the list, even like Ethan Bearer, they have to make a decision on what kind of new contract to give him. It is insane. They got to make a decision on the head coach yep. and the coaching staff. There are more people associated with this team that they don't have to, that, that they do have to make a major decision on as opposed to ones that don't. Mm-hmm. It is crazy how much is in the air for this team right now and I think that speaks to the fact that Kuzmenko has been having this terrific season and we haven't really talked all that much about him. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. Eight oh three on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody! Sweet, sweet Friday. Alfred and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour three of the program. Moj is going to join us in just a moment here. The highlight of hour three. The highlight of the week, really. Definitely the highlight of Friday. Uh, hour three of the program is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. You can do so by visiting them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Phone lines we go. Bob the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Moj. How are you? Good. Better question is, how's Mr. Bruff feeling after his bout with pneumonia? 
Uh, I'm feeling better, but my voice is still an absolute disaster. Yeah. But uh, Sorry to hear you were sick over the holidays, bud. Yeah, it was a tough one. It was a tough one. Halford hasn't uh, hasn't asked me too much about it because he doesn't care. But uh, you were sick. Th- <laughs> thank you, thank you for expressing a bit of emotion on the show. It's 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 uh-huh. nice to know that somebody out there cares. I thought he'd oh, just pick serious. up a smoking I mean, you, habit. You get pneumonia, man. That's serious stuff. You're not joking around. So I'm glad that you're okay. I mean, you know. All things aside, I mean, I know Halford doesn't care, but most no, of us out there, you know, we care about you. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. This is um, well, you, you can just turn your mic off then. Just Moj and I can, mm-hmm. can talk. Yeah. Um, Moj, um, we're hearing a few rumblings about Nathan Rourke, apparently, and this is via Farhan, uh, getting some pretty good offers down in the NFL. Um, could you lay out, if you could, just the timeline for him to make his decision on the NFL and whether or not you think it's pretty much a done deal now that he will not be back with the BC Lions next season? Uh, I'd say it's pretty much a done deal that he's not going to be back. Um, I was talking to some people and they said that, you know, this is pretty much a fate to complete in terms of him signing with an NFL team. Um, which team that will be, we're going to find out here. I probably would imagine within the week at the latest. Um, I was told that they were hoping to make a decision by January the 9th which is one of the deadlines, of course, in terms of signing CFL, all that stuff, and as well as the NFL with free agency. But I was told that January 9th was kind of like a day that they would kind of have everything in order by. So I know that he's got a couple of extra workouts planned uh, here in, you know, in, in the coming days or if he's had one yesterday or the day before. So I expect something shortly, but I do expect him to sign with an, with an NFL team. Now, granted, what type of opportunity will he get? We're going to find out. Um, but he will sign with an NFL team. What's the fallout for the Lions there, both from a personnel perspective but also a marketing perspective? Well, from a marketing perspective, it's a huge hit. I mean, Nathan Rourke was not only the talk of the Lions, he was the talk of the CFL, for crying out loud. I mean, this kid came out. I mean, think about the fact that he finished second in the league in touchdown passes and he missed half a season. I mean, that's insane, right? Um, He won the Most Outstanding Canadian Player Award and he only played half a season. So it tells you just how much of an impact he had, not only with the Lions but uh, with the league as well in terms of creating excitement. Um, from an X's and O's standpoint, uh, I think the sooner the Lions know, the better. And I say that because you're going to construct your offense differently with Vernon Adams as your starter than you would say as Nathan Rourke as your starter. As we talked about previously, I mean, with Nathan, his strength is reading defenses and being um, able to progress through receivers. And that offense was tailor-made for Nathan's strengths. So now with Vernon Adams, who doesn't, you know, have that skill like Nathan has, I think you can tailor the offense perhaps a little bit more to Vernon Adams' strengths and stay away from some of his weaknesses. Okay, so on Rourke, I was reading the piece from J.J. Adams in the province. So he said that he's worked out for a lot. The Chargers, the Cardinals, the Vikings, the Bucks, the Colts, the Broncos, the Jags, and the Panthers. And there's another workout scheduled for today. Friday. Is there any way to try and handicap this, or is there just too many teams that are poking around and keeping an eye on this situation? And I guess the other part of this, too, is there's also a lot of teams that still have decisions to be made at the decision-maker position. Like, there's head coaching positions that need to be filled, and you know they're going to go in a certain direction with their quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing, no matter what the team, is that Nathan Rourke has to have somebody in his corner. Somebody that believes in him. Somebody that says, hey, if we give this kid a shot, He's going to do well for us. So I, I think that's probably one of the things that he and his agent, Cameron Weiss, are, are trying to figure out. It's one thing to pay lip service and say, yeah, we're going to give you an opportunity. But who is really going to give you an opportunity? Who is in your corner? If I had to handicap one team, the team that I look at is the Minnesota Vikings. And I say that because their general manager, Ryan Housen, who was in Indianapolis. And this is a guy who had his start in the Canadian football league with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as a scout. He played a little bit at the tail end of his career as an offensive lineman with the Argos. When he was in Indy for four years as GM, um, he really kind of mined the Canadian Football League. There's a guy there who, you know, looks at the CFL, respects what the players do. Even if you look last year, the Colts signed a couple players out of the CFL out of Hamilton. They signed Williams, the tackle, and uh, Nikola Kelenich, the fullback. So um, if I had to kind of like put money on it, and I mean, all of these would be long shots, Something tells me that the Minnesota Vikings would be in the hunt just because Ryan Housen, as I mentioned, the former Colts GM, who's now director of player personnel for the Vikings, is there. So that's one team. And it'd be a good landing spot for him as well because 
wherever Nathan Ort goes, he's not going to be the guy. Even if it's a wide-open quarterback competition, they can't bring him in and say he's going to be the guy. You can't sell that to your fan base, save like in Indianapolis. But if he goes to a team where he can be an understudy for a year or two until the incumbent quarterback moves on or retires or whatever the case may be, learns the system, um, does well when he does have opportunities to play, uh, maybe then that, for me, is probably the ideal situation, and Minnesota fits that bill. You know, the interesting one for me, weirdly enough, is Carolina because uh, they're an intriguing team right now. I talked to Nick Shook from NFL.com about this the other day. The idea that Jim Harbaugh might leave the University of Michigan, he's already been in contact with Carolina Panthers owner David Tepper. And then if they were to go into next season with Sam Darnold still as the quarterback, I think there's a really interesting dynamic there, but it's almost more because of the Harbaugh scenario than the actual Nathan Rourke scenario. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is with Harbaugh, I mean, he's going to come in and, again, like I said, he's going to have – he's going to want to have his guy a quarterback and he's going to want a guy with a, with a resume, right? I mean, it's about consumer confidence with your fans. You can't sell your fans in the NFL on saying that Nathan Rourke is going to be our number one guy. Now, do they allow him the opportunity perhaps to compete um, and get some reps and perhaps be a solid number two? Yeah, I mean, again, that's what you're looking for, but – there's no way, no scenario that I see where Nathan Orr comes in and, you know, he's going to be, quote, the guy, right? I mean, he's going to be a number two, and he's going to be a guy who's going to have to go down there and establish himself and do well when he gets opportunities and reps and earn the trust of the coaching staff. We're speaking to Bob the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Moj is a presentation of the West Coast Auto Group. Great service, great selection just over the bridge in Maple Ridge. Moj, what did you think? of the decision from the NFL to schedule the Seahawks-Rams game and then the Packers-Lions game in the way, manner, and fashion that they did? You know, I know your beloved sport of soccer and, you know, MLS. Mm. What do they call that? D-Day or something Decision like Day. That? Yeah. When they have everyone play at the same time. Yeah. Pretty good idea. I liked I mean, it. And, yeah, and I mean, you know, when you look at this scenario, the way it plays up, I mean, are you kidding me? Seahawks win. Um, and guess what? The Lions are out. But <laughs> the Seahawks need the Lions to beat the Packers. And, you know, I, I, I know that they're professionals. And I know that, you know, it's not like the Lions say, well, if the Seahawks win, I guess we're out. We're not going to try. I mean, that it's ludicrous to, to come to that assumption. But you ask anyone, and, you know, any coach will tell you this. It's that extra 5 or 10%. That's the difference sometimes between average and good or good or great. It's that 5 to 10% that you push yourself that takes you to another level. And I don't know if the Lions have that extra 10% if they're not playing for a playoff spot. So it's just an unfortunate situation the way it plays out for the Seahawks. But, you know, you put yourself in this position. All you have to do is win a couple more games or beat Carolina at home during the course of the season, and you're not worrying about this, right? So – you put yourself in this position, unfortunately, and now you have to deal with the consequences. Okay, Moj, it's Friday. Ask us anything Friday. Uh, we've got one in here from Alex. So hey, he... can I ask you guys something when we're yes. done? Uh, yeah, okay. okay you can ask, You know what we'll do? We'll ask Moj first, and then Moj will ask us something second. Okay. Right. Alex uh, wants to know that he said if there was something – we're at the end of bowl season here, college football, national championships coming up. Uh, if there was a Halbro Bowl, what stadium would the game be played in? Let's switch it up. If there was a Moj Bowl, the Moj Stravaganza, the Moj Bowl. The Jambalaya Bowl. The Big Moji. Uh, <laughs> what, what, which stadium would the game be played in? Wow. Um, well. Swan Guard. I mean, <laughs> that'd be for the Halbro Bowl. Yeah. Um, I would probably, like, if you're talking about a football game, right? Yeah, yeah. College football yeah. game. It's the Moj Bowl. A college football game. Wow. Um, the grand Moji of I them mean, all. Notre Dame. Uh, I've been to Notre Dame. I've been so fortunate to been to Notre Dame twice. That's, that's It's amazing. It's like if you have the opportunity to do a bucket list trip, do something in Chicago, take the whatever two-hour drive, two-and-a-half-hour drive down to Notre Dame and catch an Irish game, it's it's pretty cool because you get the best of college football, especially if you can get one of the rivalry games like we got USC. And it was it was amazing. It's just an amazing environment. And I think the other thing, too, that you want to talk about tailgating. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to Instagram, I think I have a post there uh, of the tailgate party at Notre Dame. It's just it, – it's insane. I mean, you just 
you can't even think about how big it is. But yeah, Notre Dame is pretty cool. I mean, there's others as well. I mean, there's other stadiums that I'd like to get to eventually. I think the one thing that Canadians really don't kind of comprehend is just how cool that college football experience is if you can go to a big game. It's yeah. particularly like, you know, say like an SEC, SEC matchup somewhere. It's just an amazing atmosphere, no matter who the teams are. And a lot of it, I always find out it has to do with the bands. It's something about having the bands in the stands and the music. And, you know, it's just never dull. It's just there's, there's always something going on. So, yeah, I'll probably say Notre Dame. Hey, Mojo, have you been to an SEC stadium, like one of the big ones in, I don't know, Tennessee or Alabama? Or even like I've heard Ole Miss has an amazing tailgating scene. No, I haven't. I mean, I haven't been to an SEC game. I'd love to go to one. I came close one time uh, back in the old days at the previous station. We had a tour um, that uh, we took a, a bunch of fans down to Nashville, mm-hmm. um, and we caught the Seahawks and the Titans. That was a game, if you remember, both teams didn't come out for the anthem. Um, oh, right. Right, in, in Nashville. But that Saturday. Well, Vanderbilt uh, doesn't count. Yeah, I was about to say, it was Alabama and Vanderbilt. <laughs> Unfortunately, Julio and I had a game the night before Montreal, and we flew over the stadium, and we're looking yeah. down, and half the stadium is red because all the Alabama fans came up for the game. So, yeah, I guess that's the closest to ever came. But, yeah, you're right. I don't think Bandy really counts. Uh, okay, what did you want to ask us? i going to ask you guys this as broadcasters. Um, I-, I was watching Ryan Clark um, on Monday night after yep. the DeMar Hamlin incident. Uh, uh, man, man, I was just like, this guy's killing it. And – you know, I think we've all been in those situations as broadcasters, and, and you know, I hate to use this term in this situation, but um, we call it ragging the puck. You know, if there's some sort of issue when you're trying to pass it over to another show, you know, you get a 20, 30-minute delay, you guys got to go extra, or, you know, I remember doing a Lions game one time with a, a thunderstorm in Ottawa, and, you know, being on air for another, you know, killing half an hour. Um when you, as a broadcaster, when you get into a situation and, and you're not necessarily prepared for it, um, it, it's probably one of the toughest things you can do. And I talked about, you know, the delays that we face sometimes, but you know, this was just a, a, another thing with Ryan Clark and what he did, uh, and most of the broadcasters with ESPN, but particularly what I saw from Ryan Clark, uh, I thought he was absolutely amazing. So I'm just going to ask you, as broadcasters, watching what you saw from Ryan Clark on Monday and how he handled that situation and how he was able to. Um, express what he was feeling and what perhaps the players are feeling I thought was magnificent. So um, I'll throw that to you. Ryan Clark, Monday night, how good do you think he was as a broadcaster? It was remarkable. We played the audio on the show Tuesday morning, first thing when we came in, actually. We did about a minute and a half uninterrupted. And uh, we talked to Lang. I talked to Mike Tannier about this, too, on on Tuesday. Um, You don't want to take away from DeMar Hamlin's situation and the severity of it, but – it was obviously a unprecedented scenario from a broadcast perspective. No one that was on the field calling the game either for Westwood one or for ESPN or whatever. You could hear across the board that they were trying their best to explain the situation without much information, try and have the humanity side of things, but also try and be like news people because there was a, an unfolding event happening in real time so what ryan clark did was remarkable and to be able to have the recall from his playing days and talk about similar scenarios and related to the current situation when nobody had a frame of reference i think was really impressive as well that's when you see the importance of having former players on the broadcast yep but yep. former players won't always work unless they're well spoken and they can collect their thoughts and they can have composure and they don't panic in those types of situations. And, you know, I think having that composure, it probably helps that you're a former player because you've been in high, high pressure situations where you have to keep your composure. I think the most important thing that, that Ryan Clark did with was he just spoke from the heart. Yeah. And, and I think when you're in those situations, sometimes you can be overly careful in what you say because you don't, you know, it's a very sensitive situation, right? You, you don't want to put your foot in your mouth. You don't want to act like um, something that doesn't ultimately matter. Like, you don't want to – it was a tough situation. Well, exactly, but you could do that unintentionally and still get absolutely lambasted. Like, you could know in the back of your mind – like obviously the most important thing is the health of DeMar Hamlin and, and obviously um, the, the game shouldn't be played, right? Like I, I, 
you know, that those things to me were just like obvious, but you also had to address the fact, or maybe you didn't at that time, maybe that just wasn't the time to address it whatsoever, that the NFL is going to have to deal with this thing. And the NFL is going to have to put together a plan to figure out what to do. Um, and I think that's where Skip Bayless ran into trouble is because, you know, he actually, in his tweet, he said, like, it all seems like inconsequential right at the end of his tweet. But the fact that he even brought up the fact that this is now going to be a tough situation for the NFL got him into trouble because in true Skip Bayless way, he did it in an insensitive manner. Yeah. It was just a time and a place. I mean, you can talk about that issue, but I don't think you talk about that issue as a young man's battling for his life on a football field. Exactly. Right. I mean, yeah, talk about it the next day. Talk about it today. Talk about it three, four days down the road. But I think the best news out of all of this is that we're hearing that there's substantial improvement um, with Hamlin and the fact that now that uh, Chasing M's foundation that he ran, they were trying to get $2,500 for a toy drive. It's up to $7.3 million as of last night. So um, a couple of good notes in terms of what's happened there. So wish the young man a speedy recovery. So hopefully the kid will be able to have a, a normal life. Forget about football. And I wrote about this today for Black Press, and that's the fact that you just want to see this guy lead a normal, productive life. I mean, he doesn't need to play football to do that. So hopefully all the best to Hamlin and, the, and his family and friends. Yeah, the latest update is that uh, DeMar Hamlin's breathing tube is out. He's actually speaking now, and he FaceTimed with some of his uh, Buffalo Bills teammates. So pretty remarkable yeah. over the span of a week where that story started and where it's uh, ended up on Friday. Uh, yeah. Moj, thanks for doing this, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Friday. Okay, fellas, we'll talk to you next Friday. See you later, thanks, bye. Buddy. That's Bob the Moj Marjanovich here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. I'm reading on the Nathan, Nathan Rourke thing. Um, this is per Farhan, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just reading it courtesy of the CFL News mm-hmm. Twitter feed. Um, that Rourke has already received multiple offers, guaranteed money, annual salary of at least 700000 So that in itself, folks, yeah, he's gone. The, but that's the reason that anyone would leave the Canadian Football League to go to the NFL. The money is just... No, it's not the money. It's the opportunity as well. Like He's still money? a young guy. He, it, it, if you look at the, the quarterbacks and how the quarterback story can unfold in a season. Like Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, here's here's the crazy thing. Mr. Irrelevant mm-hmm. in the NFL draft has a good chance to win the Super Bowl. Yes, they could enter as the number one seed in the NFC and have an opening round bye, and they could that road, yeah, absolutely. Forget getting the bye. I yeah. think they just might be the best team in the NFC. And, and that's just... You get that opportunity. Yeah. No one expected to get that opportunity, but from what we saw of Nathan Rourke at times throughout the season, you're sitting there going, There's, this guy's got something. He's got that composure. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't look very good in Winnipeg in the playoff game, and that was probably still he was re- recovering from an injury, and it was just a tough situation to to go into that game. So he's an underdog in this. Don't get anything wrong here. He's an underdog to become a starting quarterback in the NFL or to go down there and make this great success yeah. of himself. But he can always come back to the CFL. Yeah. He can always come back to the CFL in a couple of years if things don't work out there. And he's still going to be a young guy. And he can come back and, you know, because Halford's all about the money, he'll have some money in his pocket and he might be able to, you know, feel a little more comfortable being that CFL quarterback, but he wouldn't feel comfortable if he didn't go down there and take a shot. And Give take, himself take a, shot. a chance. Take a shot now. Strike the when the iron is hot. You have one shot, one opportunity. Yeah, Don't let it slip. Mum's spaghetti. Yeah. Um, here's uh, what we learned. The Seattle Kraken have reassigned Shane Wright to the Kingston Frontenacs. So Shane Wright, he's played some NHL games. He's played some AHL games, although that was on a conditioning stint. He played in the World Juniors, scored a nice goal yesterday, won another gold medal as the captain of the team. But now he's going back to Kingston. And I think this is the right decision. I think watching Shane Wright in that tournament, uh, for the most part, most people were left a little bit underwhelmed and thought that he might dominate a little bit more than he did. Sure. No one is asking him to put up a performance on a Connor Bedard-type level. But when he scored that goal yesterday, I think the overwhelming consensus was like, wow, he needed that. And Canada needed a goal like that from... Go. Before he's going to be um, 
an impactful NHLer. Yeah, I mean, he was impactful yesterday, and he captained Canada to a gold medal. So those are all you know positive attributes and ticks in the right column. But on the team, I mean, the, there were definitely guys that rose to greater prominence. But well, it wasn't gone. his. It wasn't Shane Wright's line that dominated. Yeah, Gun- uh, Gunther was really good. I mean, even Milich kind of upped his stock. Wright is Gunther was better than Shane Wright. Can we all agree? Gunther was better than Shane Wright. Yeah, that's I mean, Wright was the captain and scored a big goal in the Mm -hmm. gold medal game, and it was a really nice goal. Um, but I think what you're looking at is a a byproduct of a lot of different things. One, it was a year long, um, you know, where we're tanking for the first round pick and all the different like he was never going to be. Uh, a generational guy like I think a lot of people have been, and then a lot of people also were erroneously tagged for. I mean, I, it's hard know. when you get that exceptional status in the mm-hmm. OHL right from the very time you get that status, and only a few guys have received it. So off the top of my head, John Tavares, Connor McDavid. Did Stamkos have it? Exceptional Ek- status in the OHL. Ekblad. Ek- maybe it wasn't Stamkos. Maybe it was Ekblad. But then there Sean was Sean Day. Day. Sean Day. And, and he just he never panned out in the NHL. And Can you uh, argue with Wright's production, though? Like, I know you say it's going to take a long time to get his full game ready to play at the NHL level. But he's been over a point per game pretty much everywhere he's played. Four goals in five games in the AHL. Is he really I'm not that suggest- far off? I'm like, not he- suggesting that he's like... Uh, in, in a bust. But no, but I, is he really that far away from being an impact but player? But he, could, like he you couldn't said? stay in the AHL, yeah. right? They had to send no. him back. Yeah, that he's was legally not allowed to yeah, play there. That was the problem, was he had to go back to junior. They had to keep him on the NHL But roster. he's clearly good enough to play there. Where? In the American in the League? AHL. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, for yeah. sure. He looked really good in those the handful of games. I remember his first game with, was it Coachell Valley? Uh, he had a goal in his first game, and he, he produced. He's just stuck in that, that stagmire. That, uh, that exists in the... You can't give him the NHL ice time, right. but he's too good for all the other... Yeah, leagues. I don't necessarily right. And think... especially with the Kraken being in a playoff position yeah. now, they're not in this for just development time. Right, like who's he going to step into the Kraken lineup and replace when they're on a heater and they are looking to make major strides in their second season? The weird thing is, is that the Kraken obviously had higher aspirations for him um, when they held him out of the summer tournament, right? They were like, no, he's going to be a big part of what we're doing here in Seattle. And I think that tune quickly changed when they saw him play, and he just he wasn't ready. Well, now he's got the option to come back as well at playoff time. Once his season's over in the CHL, Correct. he can come back over. Uh, by the way, someone t- someone threw this out on Twitter the other day when as we talk about generational talents at the draft and the first overall picks. And they're like, go back and Google the terms generational and Lafreniere, and you'll be shocked and how often, and how casually it was thrown around. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But, but that being said, I am very surprised that he struggled to make a mark in the NHL. Watching Lafreniere in the World Juniors, I was like, this guy is a sure thing. Yeah, I think it's just, uh, maybe it's the term generational. It's not even about Oh, Lafreniere. generational is ridiculous. Yeah. People, people throw it around way too often. Right. Remember when I wrote that article for NBC about the United States never having a generational player yes. and, and all these people in like for the Dallas stars were like, what about Mike Medano? And I was like, what about Mike Medano? He wasn't a generational player. We need to reserve that term. It's ridiculous. Special cases. It gets thrown around too loosely. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.